So if you're here today, or if you've been here, uh, or if you've been a part of Christ Community at any point in the last 10 years, you've been a part of that movement, a movement that is sending the good news of Jesus all over the world. And uh, man, I'm, that, that's exciting to think that, man, all I did today was get up and, and quote-unquote come to church. And yet we have the opportunity, the, the Lord's given us the opportunity as a church to be a part of a movement like that for the last 10 years. Uh, next weekend, we will celebrate 10 years of being Christ Community Church. And we're not going to be able to do it in all the ways that we had hoped for or, or longed to, but uh, we are going to take communion together in a, in a safe way, and we're excited about that. You'll more, he'll, you will hear more about that later. Um, but some other things that are going on at Christ Community today, for the first time since the pandemic, we've opened a preschool room. woo Praise God! Praise God! Praise God! Uh, but uh, we are so excited to, um, man, to, to just continuing to, to worship Jesus and uh, we're, we just don't want to take it, man, we, we don't want to take for granted the grace that the Lord has given to us in this season to be able to continue to do that. So um, a couple of things. If you're new with us today, uh, you can go to loveshadow.com slash connect, and there's a really quick uh, uh, form there so that we can get to know you, learn your story, reach out, and, and connect with you. Uh, or if you are a part of the Christ Community family and you, this is your first time back, uh, we would love for you to go to loveshadow.com slash I'm back, and there's a couple of surveys there. One that helps us make sure that we're doing things in a safe way. You may see things as a first-time returner that we're missing, or, and this is the big one that I wanted to get back to, uh, it's not that we don't want to open more classrooms, it's not that we don't want to do more with our kids, but it's like this uh, tug of war where it takes people and volunteers and leaders to do those things, and so there's a survey there that uh, indicates, man, I'm back, and I'm ready to serve, and I want to jump in and, and help be a part of, of rebuilding all that. So check out those, those two things, all right? Um, today we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 12. Next week, Hebrews 13, we're finishing a series uh, called Still the Answer. And uh, the, the whole premise of the book of Hebrews, the, the author was writing to these people who were considering turning back from Jesus. They had been Jews, they had accepted Christ, and now all of a sudden it was getting hard to follow Christ. And they're like, well, you know what, maybe we should just go back to our old way of life. And uh, it's been really interesting to me and to our church to see how many applications this brings to our lives. Because in this time, so many of us have said yes to Jesus at some point in our lives. Yeah, I want to follow that guy. It makes, it, that makes some sense to me. But then you hit times like we're in right now in the pandemic, and it's like, you know what, maybe I'll just go back to what I know is safe. I'll, know, I'll go back to what I think is comfortable. And uh, this book of Hebrews is a continual call to stay with Jesus, to join him on the outside. So if you want to follow along in your Bibles or on the Bible app, we've got our digital bulletin in there. We're going to be reading from Hebrews chapter 12, verses 14 through 29. And after I finish reading that, we want to pray. And as we pray, uh, we want to pray uh, a prayer of thanksgiving. We got back into school this week, and I, from what I'm hearing, there were no major meltdowns of things, but we also want to be praying for those who uh, are battling the virus or, or have family members who are. Um, I know uh, for each of us, we have moments where things are more and more real, and uh, one of my mom's best friends uh, passed away yesterday uh, from this battle, and uh, fortunately, I was able to be with her and uh, with my mom. And um, it's just interesting as we all learn to, to live in this new reality. So let's read God's word, be encouraged by it this morning, and then pray and ask him to teach us from it. 
Hebrews chapter 12, verses 14 and following. Pursue peace with everyone and holiness. Without it, no one will see the Lord. Make sure that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no root of bitterness springs up, causing trouble and defiling many. And make sure that there isn't any immoral or irreverent person like Esau who sold his birthright in exchange for a single meal. For you know that later, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, even though he sought it with tears, because he didn't find any opportunity for repentance. For you have not come to what could be touched, to a blazing fire, to darkness, gloom, and storm, to the blast of a trumpet and the sound of words. Those who heard it begged that not another word be spoken to them, for they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned. The appearance was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. Instead, you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to myriads of angels, a festive gathering, to the assembly of the firstborn whose names have been written in heaven, to a judge who is God of all, to the spirits of righteous people made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood which says better things than the blood of Abel. See to it that you do not reject the one who speaks, for if they did not escape when they rejected him who warned them on earth, even less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven. His voice shook the earth at that time, but now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. And this expression, yet once more, indicates the removal of what can be shaken. That is created things, so that what is not shaken might remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful. By it, we may serve God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for consuming us, and for consuming sin and evil. We pray, God, that you would uh, teach us through your spirit and with your word today. God, we do just pray a prayer of thanksgiving for freedom to gather. We pray, uh, we're thankful for... Uh, just all the ways that you're working in people's lives right now that maybe we can't even see. Uh, Lord, we're thankful that uh, we, were, we returned to school this week and, and you used so many to do that in a way that was uh, acceptable and safe. And Lord, we do uh, at the same time just pray for those who are battling the virus. We pray for those that uh, are struggling in other ways right now. Uh, Lord, we pray that you would continue to be with all of us. Help us to walk in grace and truth towards one another as we reflect the love of Jesus into our world. We pray in his name. Amen. Speaking of opening up a preschool classroom, uh, how many of you, parents probably especially, but others can imagine, right? Uh, at some point in time during the pandemic, there was that moment where the only thing that you wanted was peace. It didn't matter what you had to do to get it, you wanted some peace. And so, um, let me, let me just back up. I'm just going to tell the story like it's because it's, it's me. It's mine, right? So you're, you're sitting on the couch and you finally come to the boiling point. I do. And I say, kids, I don't care what you do. I don't care where you go, but get out. Amen. We got, we got an amen even on that. Like, just get, I don't care. And they leave. And then there's this mystical, magical peace. And then 10 minutes later, you regret ever saying those words because you go to the other room and I'm like, in our case, I went upstairs, right? And there's just stuff everywhere, stuff everywhere. And it's like, man, were those five minutes of peace worth this? 
Or, and, and, and me, in that moment, I was like, kids, I told you. And I'm like, shoot, I did tell you. I didn't care what you did or where you went. Just get out. We hate that. Peace. Peace. We want peace. We live in a world that is obsessed with peace, but offended by holiness. And this passage becomes difficult for us because it brings those two ideas into this tension, right? Hebrews 12, 14. Look back at that first verse with me. Uh, Let me read it a little differently this time. I think this is how our hearts might read Hebrews 12, 14. Pursue peace with everyone. Yeah, I'm all for that. And holiness. Without it, no one will see the Lord. Right? We all desire and, and long for peace. But that holiness thing, like, ah, just, let's just keep that there. We're almost offended by it. Right? World peace, like it's the safe pageant answer. I mean, we will pay any price for an experience that promises peace. How much does it cost for a vacation without kids? Sign me up. I don't even care what you say, right? Like, we, we, will, do any, we will cut people out of our lives to keep the peace. Uh, we live in an interesting time where we've got these protests, and some wish the protests would end and things would be peaceful again, while at the same time, Others are in a, in a spot and a place in their lives where they, they won't be at peace unless they have stood in protest. Make no mistake, we all want peace, both personally and with one another. We want that, but don't talk to me about the holiness peace, Blake. That just causes people to get offended quickly and become defensive even more quickly. Who do you think you are that you can just call those things out to me, right? It, it's one of those things that everybody knows, the, like everybody's memorized scripture because they know to say, judge not, lest you be judged. Everybody's got that one in their back pocket. So let's talk about that. What is holiness? The word itself means to be set apart or, or to be separated. And in that sense, the idea of holiness means that, that the way we live our lives stands out. It stands apart. It's different. And this leads to an idea that holiness is mostly about moral purity, being a good person, doing the right thing. How good of a person are you? But scripture seems to suggest when you look at it on a whole, that that there's more to holiness than just moral purity, than just doing the right thing. It seems to suggest that holiness is this way of, of speaking about the entirety of God's character. To be holy is to be of the same character of God, and yet only He is the Holy One. He alone is the source of holiness. And so clearly this idea of holiness is, is a little bit more of a complex idea than what we might think. But, but this we know is clear. If someone challenges our holiness without our permission, we usually get offended. Think, think about it. If you need to, think of a specific example. But it's, you know, if somebody came up to you and, and they didn't have trust and permission to speak into your life and they said, hey man, have you ever thought that what you're doing there isn't right? It's like, whoa, who do you think you are? Let's take this out back. If we question someone else's holiness, we watch as they often get defensive. The walls go up. You lose the opportunity to, to ever speak into someone's life again. So everyone figures that that the solution is this. If I'm going to keep the peace, it's just best if we don't talk too much about holiness. But that creates a problem, according to Hebrews 12, 14. It says, pursue peace with everyone and holiness. Without it, no one will see the Lord. You see, without peace and holiness, it's hard to see Jesus. I'm like, well, shoot, I want to do that too. 
We think that we can have peace without holiness. And we believe that we will continue to see Jesus work while we live that way. If I just try to be at peace with everybody, surely that's what Jesus wants, and he'll show up and he'll do great things. And he's like, hey, did you forget that line about and holiness? You see, this verse ties together these two ideas that seem to be competing in our lives. We want to see Jesus. As believers, we know that if we can see him clearly, everything seems to come into focus. But unfortunately, it doesn't say peace or holiness. It says peace and holiness. And our sinful nature, our flesh, loves to separate these two ideas out. And when we stop and let the Spirit help us think and process, we realize just how much these two ideas are connected. We look at Scripture, right? God worked really hard creating the universe for six days. And then he called the seventh day holy, and he rested. And you can, just, you can sense the peace that must have existed as the God of the universe rested from creating it. The calm that came over things as nothing new was being stirred up or created. That was a moment of peace and holiness. The Holy of Holies we read about in the Old Testament was a place that was separated away apart from the hustle and bustle of Jewish life. It was deep inside the Jewish tabernacle. You couldn't just walk up in there. It was a place of peace. Peace and holiness was present. But then you bring that into our lives, right? The most peaceful times in your home are often when everyone is doing what they're supposed to be doing. When you might say people are living a life that reflects the character of God. Those elusive evenings where the kids did all of their homework, they took a bath without, without asking, and now you're just sitting on the couch, right? Do those ever happen? But we, we long for them, right? Peace and holiness. It's those moments when everyone at your place of work is doing their job with integrity. Trust is, is existent on the staff, and, and things operate smoothly. Those are moments of peace and holiness. They go together. They always, you know, holiness always leads to peace. And yet most of us work really hard at pursuing peace without ever really thinking about how our own personal holiness factors into that. I can keep the peace, but let's not talk about my holiness. Paul prays this for believers in Thessalonica, and I believe it can guide us and be our prayer today as well. He says this, 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. Sanctify us to, to make you holy. May he make you holy completely. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept sound and blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will do it. And isn't that encouraging? That even though he calls us this holiness, it's really uncomfortable. That Man, he wants me to be holy as he is holy. Man, we can work really hard at that and try to be a good person and do the right thing. But at the end of the day, he who calls you is faithful. He will do it. He will make us holy. You say, but how? how? How does God make us holy? Hebrews chapter 12, in these following verses, teaches us that God consumes sin and evil. He consumes sin and evil so that we might be consumed by his peace. You see, God has consumed sin in the past. And one day he will consume all the evil that results from our sin. And this passage talks specifically about these two realities. Today, we, we live in, in between these two realities. We, we can recognize and trust in the fact that Jesus Christ has consumed all sin on the cross. 
But we still see evil. We, we still see evil. And so we look forward to Christ's return when, when he will consume all the evil. And we live in between those two realities. And so our opportunity then to be consumed by the peace that comes only from God is directly related to our willingness to let God consume the sin and evil in our life through Jesus Christ. Let's explore these two realities in the passage first and then discover how we can pursue peace and holiness with Jesus' help. First, this idea that, that he consumes sin. How do we see this? If you go back and you look at, at verses 18 through 21, the author reminds uh, his readers of this point by pointing back to the realities of the old covenant. He calls to mind some of the details that remind the people of the holiness of God. Look at it. It says, For you've not come to what could be touched, to a blazing fire, to darkness, gloom, and storm, to the blast of a trumpet and the sound of words. Those who heard it begged that not another word be spoken to them, for they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned. The appearance was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. What's he talking about here? He's talking about the moment in the Old Testament when God came down, his presence came down over Mount Sinai and gave the law to the people of Israel. He's detailing this scene, and in this scene, the presence of the Lord was completely overwhelming. Now, the law in this moment was given to address sin, right? The idea was that living completely by the law would completely eliminate sin. It was to lead to peace and holiness. And yet, no human being had ever been able to keep this law perfectly. The author points this out to the readers to remind them that only one had done that. His name was Jesus. He consumed sin in a way that the law never could. As much as the people were in awe when God came down on the mountain that day, they, they should be and could be much more in awe of Jesus because he did what that law never could. He consumed sin. John affirms this all over his gospel, but also in his later letter to believers. He says this in 1 John 3, 5. He says, you know that he, that is Jesus, was revealed so that he might take away sins, and there is no sin in him. Now the skeptic in me immediately says, okay, then how come sin still exists in my life and in the lives of those around me? Like, how come sin is still something that we all struggle with? Go on a trip with me for just a moment, will you? Let's say that you and I were headed to the great state of Indiana. And we needed to cross that big, beautiful bridge that crossed over the river that cost you $4 a trip. Okay? You're in the car with me. We're headed over there. I don't know. It's a special trip. I'm sitting in the passenger seat. You're driving your car. We cross the toll bridge. A picture is snapped of our license plate, and we know the bill is coming. And because I know that, I look at you and I say, hey, when that bill comes in, you just let me know. It's on me. I'll pay it. Consider it paid. And then the bill comes in the mail. And you don't call me. You don't let me know it's in. It sits there. You start to get a little ruffled over the fact that there's a bill that I've said is paid, but it's still on your desk. And for whatever reason, maybe it's pride or shame. It's like, nah, it's just a small bill. I should be able to pay this. Maybe it's laziness. Like, I, I don't know, too busy to, you know, get the bill, whatever. Whatever it is, you don't tell me that the bill is ready to be paid. You just hold on to it. And then the late fees start getting piled on. Then the bill collector calls and, 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 and. You see, Jesus has already consumed sin. He said, the bill is paid. 
But for so many of us, we can't be in awe of how amazing that is because we keep holding on to the bill. Whatever it is in our life, pride, shame, laziness, busyness, we keep holding on to that. It's small change for Jesus, but instead of letting him consume the sin in our life, we allow it to slowly pile on top of each other until it's way more serious than it once was. That's why the the urging that the, the psalmist give us in Psalm 55, verse 22, is so important. It says this, cast your burden on the Lord. Cast it on him, like give it to him, and he will sustain you. He will never allow the righteous to be shaken. You see, the author of Hebrews is saying to the people, don't turn back from Jesus. Don't get yourself in a place where you think you've got it figured out or you're not willing to send him the bill. He's already consumed your sin, and I believe he says that to us today as well. Don't turn back to being your own Jesus on the weekends. Don't turn back to thinking that you can be God and you can figure this thing out and you'll do what's good for you. Don't do that. Don't turn back to trying to rectify your own sins. Give yourself to the one who has already consumed sin. So yeah, but Blake, what about, what about all the evil that exists because of that sin? Why, why hasn't he just taken that away? I just can't seem to reconcile this. And that's why the author then points them forward in verse 22 and following. He says, instead, instead of being at that mountain on that day, instead you have come to Mount Zion to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to myriads of angels, a festive gathering, to the assembly of the firstborn whose names have been written in heaven, to a judge who is God of all, to the spirits of righteous people made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. Jesus came the first time to consume sin. But when he comes back the second time, he will consume every evil that has ever resulted from that sin. The author sticks his readers between these two realities to remind them that if they don't want to be found on the wrong side of history, that they need to stay with Jesus. They don't want to return to an existence without him. They don't want to be where their sin can still consume them. They want to be the one, with the one who has consumed sin and will one day consume all evil. John writes in the book of Revelations about the reality of that second coming. He gives us this picture of Jesus' return in John, uh, Revelation 19, verses 11 through 16. He says, Then I saw heaven open, and there was a white horse. Its rider is called Faithful and True, and he judges and makes war with justice. His eyes were like a fiery flame, and many crowns were on his head. He had a name written that no one knows except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. The armies that were in heaven followed him on white horses, wearing pure white linen. And it goes on in 15 and 16. A sharp sword came from his mouth so that he might strike the nations with it. He will rule them with an iron rod. He will also trample the winepress of the fierce anger of God, the Almighty. And he has a name written on his robe and on his thigh, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. See, church, Jesus gives you peace in your life by consuming what isn't holy in your life. In my discipleship group this week, Cracker Barrel Friday mornings, one guy shared that the Lord had taught him this week that peace doesn't come from a lack of adversaries, it comes from the presence of the Lord. Mm. Actually, I said what I usually say, I say, that'll preach. And it is. You see, many of us say that we want more Jesus, but do we really understand that wanting Jesus is wanting holiness? 
Jesus gives you peace in your life by consuming what isn't holy in your life, not by getting rid of all your adversaries. And he is so gracious in that process, right? He could overwhelm you right here, right now today and point out a million things that aren't right in your life. He could point out a million things that aren't right in my life, but instead he works them out one by one, graciously walking with us as we are faithful to be with him in his word and with his bride, the church. You see, a lack of peace in your life, we have to reframe our thinking. A lack of peace in your life is God's grace extending to you an opportunity to come clean, to be holy, to walk with him. This was the point of the example of Esau earlier in the passage. Look back at verse 15 and following. It says, Make sure that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no root of bitterness springs up, causing trouble and defiling many. Make sure there isn't any immoral or irreverent person like Esau who sold his birthright in exchange for a single meal. For you know that later when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, even though he sought it with tears, because he didn't find any opportunity for repentance. Ooh. Make sure that no one falls short of the grace of God. No root of bitterness springs up, causing trouble and defiling. And make sure there isn't any immoral or irreverent person. This is starting to get a little uncomfortable. Esau gave up what was already his, just like many of us do. But what's hard for us to process is that when he was ready to come back for it, the scripture says he didn't find any opportunity for repentance. What does that mean? Does God's grace run out? We sang about this. Is there a shot clock on seeking forgiveness from Jesus? Let's make sure we understand grace. See, grace isn't unlimited chances. It's unmerited favor. And there's a big difference. Grace doesn't simply mean keep trying until you get it. Grace means that you don't deserve another shot, but I'm choosing to give it to you anyway. Grace isn't a system just to cover our mistakes. It's a gift given in a very personal way from the God of the universe. That's grace. God's grace is unlimited, yes, but it's also his to give. We can't presume upon it. He can forgive us at any time he wants to, but he doesn't want us to take advantage of that. Because when we do, when we cheapen and take advantage of grace and just think that we've got unlimited chances to get it right, and you know, whatever, we end up bitter. And once we're bitter, without wanting to, we often begin to cause trouble, not only in our lives, but in the lives of others. So how can we, you and I, not fall short of God's grace like Esau did so that we don't end up bitter? I love the quotation from Haggai 2.6 in Hebrews 12.26. It says, His voice shook the earth at that time, but now he's promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. See, in this process of being made holy, our lives are being shaken. Last, was it last week? In the last couple weeks, I talked about Pop Goes the Vet being one of my favorite shows. Uh, I also like any show that goes hunting for gold. Anybody with me? We're getting, I mean, people were a little iffy on the, the Nash is with you. So me and Nash, we're going to go gold hunting. Uh, I'm, I'm in for that, right? So they, they go to these places like Alaska, Australia, different places, and they, they hunt for gold. And many of you know, because of history classes and things like that, right? When you, when you go look for gold, like you dig things up, you find pay dirt, right? And then you put it in these pans and like you shake the pans and all this stuff. And you're trying to refine it out and get just the gold, just the gold. 
You see, this process of being made holy by God is, is the very same thing. And the goal at the end of it is, is this peace and this holiness that allows us to see the Lord. And so my challenge for you today, right, is, is those gold miners, like, they, they, when they do that, I mean, every small fleck of gold is kept because I looked this week, uh, an ounce of gold was worth over $1,900, and the price was down, right? So, like, every ounce, every little piece matters. And my challenge to you this week is when you think about God's grace, let's think about it like that. Let's take in every ounce of God's grace that we can, knowing that His grace is often pushing us to be more and more holy. Psalm 119, 119 and 120 says, You removed all the wicked on the earth as if they were dross from metal. Therefore, I love your decrees. I tremble in all of you. I fear your judgments. It's this idea of, of being made holy. And how does that happen? What does that look like? There's two commands in this passage, and then we'll be done. The first, in verse 25, is to listen closely. So see to it that you don't reject the one who speaks. For if they did not escape when they rejected him who warned them on earth, even less will we, will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven. I'm not going to belabor this. Listening to God is a very difficult thing to do at times. But let me pose this question. Have you considered that the reason you struggle to read God's word is because you don't really want God to tell you what to do? Could it be that perhaps it's not really about busyness or lack of understanding? It's that you really don't want God to approach the things in your life that are not of and from him. When you neglect the reading of God's word, you aren't just skipping out on a spiritual discipline. You're rejecting his grace in your life. You're skipping out on being made holy. You're punting on experiencing his peace. I want to encourage you, if you're struggling to be in the word right now, that all of us are at times in those seasons. I want to give you a simple tool. I talk about it all the time, but I want to encourage you to use it. It's called a HEAR journal. And it's a simple acronym, right? Like you come to a passage, you may even come to a passage like this, and you highlight, what is it, what one verse do I really feel like the Lord is, is using to speak to me today? Let me write that verse down, highlight that verse. Explain, uh, how do I dig in and maybe use some other tools or, or maybe just ask the Lord and the Spirit to help me understand what He's trying to explain in this passage? Then how do I apply it in my life and what am I going to do to respond? And if you'll take the time, the five, ten minutes, take a small passage and to hear from the Lord, I believe your life will be changed greatly by the Lord. Taking every ounce of God's grace by listening closely. The second is like it. Serve acceptably. The end of the passage, verses 28 and 29 says this, therefore since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful. By it we may serve God acceptably with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. Psalm 211 was another verse that I read this week. And it says, serve the Lord with reverential awe, that same idea, and rejoice with trembling. I love that phrase, rejoice with trembling. That even though when I'm serving the Lord, right, like when I'm doing something good and I, I'm serving with this sense of recognition that I'm still in the presence of God and, and I am trembling, like it's so good to be in the presence of the Lord and yet there's something that, man, I just recognize that in his presence, whew, it's something different. 
What does it mean to serve acceptably? I just wanted to share a couple of stories of people in our church that have inspired me with the way that they serve. So many serve. And I'm sure I'll leave someone out, and I don't want you to be offended if I do. But one, uh, several that have, have come to mind this week. Matt and Carrie Simons. Uh, one thing that I've loved about them is Matt will tell you that a couple of years ago, they just made the decision that whatever, <laughs> he's, he's trusting me with this so that I don't abuse it too, right? It's, it's grace. He said they decided that whatever the church asked them to do, they were going to say yes to. Man, <laughs> don't tell the staff that, right? It's like, how many things can we sign them up for? But it's good because once you know someone has that willingness to serve, when serving for them isn't about how can I be most useful or what gifts can I have, but serving is truly just about, man, I'm in for however I can help because I know that the Lord's doing this all through me anyway. I love that spirit. And the Lord's using Matt and Carrie in some amazing ways right now. Jerry Smitha. Jerry Smitha is in this building more than I am. This week, he made sure that everything was, was ready in that one room that we opened. He came in and he took care of ceiling tiles. And I'm just going to be honest with you. 95% of our church could have come in and gotten those ceiling tiles ready. But about 94% of our church wouldn't have done it on time or well. Uh, that's what I love about Jerry Smitha is that he is more about av availability than ability. Like he just comes in and he makes sure that it gets done on time. And I love that about Jerry. And so many of us can learn so much from the way that Jerry serves the Lord. Colin Johnson, my community group leader this week, he inspired me because he recognized that in this season, it's been kind of hard to figure out how to serve people, right? It's like, can I be close to them? Do they really need help? What do they need help with? Like, and the, all those questions kind of move us to a place where we're just uncertain and we don't do anything. And he said, you know, I've had to learn. He said, the Lord has really challenged me in this season that when I'm talking to people, I don't ask, is there anything I can do for you? But the question is, what can I do for you? There's something I can do. What can I do for you? Instead of, is there anything I can do for you? So those, those individuals really inspired me this week uh, and many weeks. And again, I know there are many more examples of people who have served. I love the heart of our church to serve, but that idea of serving acceptably with reverence and awe. Not always serving out of our gifts or our abilities or our talents, but just serving Whatever there is to do, putting our hands to that. Again, I'll remind you that at loveshellville.com slash I'm back, there's a survey about how you can serve. Uh, that might be a tangible next step if you're in for that. Here's the beauty about peace and holiness. In our lives, we look forward to this day when everything that, not, that is not from God has been taken away from us. We look forward to those moments when somebody could look, just look at us and say, man, you, like, you reflect God to me. And in those moments when everything not from God has been taken away, you've got nothing to lose in serving God. When everything else has been taken away, you've got nothing to lose in serving Him. And that's what I love about the video that we show before the sermon. That those names of people, man, those are people that just, 
came to the end of themselves. They were willing to let God consume sin and evil to make them holy so that they could go and do all the things that they had dreamed of and the dreams that God had placed in their heart from a young age. As we close, I just want to challenge each of us to make this our prayer as we respond to the Lord today. Lord, what do you want to take away today? You're the consuming fire. What do you want to take away from my life today, Lord? What is it that you want to sift out or shake out so that I could be more like you? And I believe that if you will submit yourself to that process, that you'll let God offend you, maybe. That you will see him. That he will do something in your life that you've never seen before. Not because you gave great effort. Not because you tried harder. but Because you let the Lord take something away that wasn't from him. Would you be so bold, so willing to pray that prayer with me? To step into whatever it is that the Lord wants to sift out of your life. Pursue peace with everyone and holiness. Without it, no one will see the Lord. Let's pray. Jesus, we, we rejoice today that you've consumed sin on the cross. But I pray that you would that you would help us to do it rejoicing in, in your presence while we tremble. Just recognizing your holiness and how your holiness calls us to something more. And so we humbly come to you today, Lord, and, and ask, what is it that you want to take away? What is it that you want to sift out of my life so that I can be more like you, so that I can see you? Give us the courage to ask that. Help us to hear from you today and this week. From your word and from your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.